Welcome to Trading for Keeps. This is Brian. And this is Michael. Today, we have a special guest. We have the head editor from Stock, Tra- Stock Traders Almanac, Jeffrey Hirsch. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. How you doing, guys? Thanks for doing having me. Excellent. Thank you for having us. Or thank you for coming on the show. Sure. Um, we always want to start off and, and give us this little background about yourself. Can you tell us the first interactions you had with the markets? How did you get started in this industry? Uh, I was in my pajamas looking over my father's shoulder back in the early mid seventies. Um, I think he had a chart of Polaroid and he asked me, showed me the chart and he said, what do you, what do you think is this, is the stock going to go up or down? I mean, I think I said up or something because ups a positive response. And, um, you know, I, I basically grew up around the stock market. My father started the stock traders almanac in 1966, uh, when I was born, before I was born, he actually went out on his own while my mother was pregnant with me. Uh, he had been at a outfit called Indicator Digest out of Palisades Park, New Jersey, that was started by my illustrious uh, cousin or second cousin, whatever, my father's first cousin, Sam Coslow, who was a songwriter and pr- film producer, as well as a uh, you know, successful business person. And he started this publication, Indicator Digest, with an old AB split Ed and Barron's where they run two presses and on one press you run test one headline versus the other press you test another headline and the ad hit he called up my dad and said um Yale is in the uh the songwriting business along with with um with Sam and he said Yale I want you to run operations for this thing so um I mean Sam had had a bad experience he had gotten some RCA stock for his publishing company back in the 20s and got burned in the crash and became a student of the market, et cetera, and so forth. So after a few years at Indicator Digest, um, Yale had this epiphany. My father would go out on his own and create something called the Stock Traders Almanac, which would take all of the market's um, you know, patterns and, and schedule and indicators and lay them all out in a calendar format so he could track the market schedule along with his own. And the Almanac was born. This first edition was the 68 edition. It came out in the fall of 67. Sold to a lot of brokerage firms. A lot of brokers would use it as gifts. We didn't print their logo and phone number on there. And, you know, so I grew up around looking at charts and the market. And, you know, when I was probably about, you know, 10, 12 in that area, I started working for him, you know, shipping, mailing, packing books. Uh, you know, he brought the business home in the, um, in the, about 1973, I think, he got tired of commuting to the city. And then, you know, when I was a little bit older, you know, around 12, 13, I started running, running some numbers, as I like to say, but doing some calculations um, for the Almanac with graph paper and an adding machine and a red pen and uh, Barron's lab pages. And, um, you know, after fighting, joining the family business for 20 some odd years, my best friend, uh, said to me, I was, I was uh, working for a landscaping company, thinking about getting into that. I like being outside working my hands. And uh, he said, he said, uh, Jeff, what are you doing, man? Go work for your father. So I did. I was working sort of part-time with him. And then I went in and told him I wanted a title and a business card and a salary. It wasn't very much at the time, but <laughs> I didn't want to be cl- punching the clock. And um, I started learning at his feet, you know, uh, going to his office, doing sales and marketing and direct marketing, direct mail and analyzing stocks, um, you know, and uh, the market. So that's the the beginning of it. Then I took it over in 01 
and now I'm, you know, president, CEO, and editor in chief. Um, and I also work with a mutual fund too that's based on the Almanac. We can get into that later. So that's how I came to be, sort of where I am here today. So once you got that business card and that salary, what type of uh, what were you, what type of work were you doing at that point? You you, you said it was it sounded kind of broad. Um, can you get it a was more broad. detail on that? It was very broad. I mean, it was publishing, um, marketing, direct marketing, uh, customer service, uh, you know, customer relation management with uh, employees and staff, and stock analysis and writing and research. And going over the, um, you know, all the patterns and indicators in the Almanac. And it was actually, you know, around that time when I, when I came in full time, 89, 90, and we began to discover some things together. Um, you know, uh, I learned a lot from him. My father was a great writer. He's a songwriter, too. So we could, you know, come up with headlines and add copy. And we had some other guys that were working there that I learned a lot of uh, about actual writing, you know, uh, composition and uh vocabulary and mixed metaphors and, you know, uh, where to put a comma uh, in the modern world and where not to, and not necessarily listening to the Chicago manual style all the time, but, you know. Jeff, just just at a high level, and I think some of our viewers may not be familiar with the stock market almanac, but can you just give it a high level? Can you describe what that is? It's the stock traders almanac. Stock traders. Um, And it's, I mean, it's it's a, a calendar. It's a record-keeping device. It also has all of the, you know, patterns, trends, and indicators that one might want to track or need to track. It's not everything under the sun, but everything that's historical pattern, seasonal pattern. There's some that aren't in there that we don't think are relevant, but it's it runs through the year. Um, there's a diary page on the right side. It's got the, the trading week with a room for notes. There's a inspirational market-related or at least, you know, uh, business motivational quote there. Um, you've got highlights for that day, whether it's triple witching day, I know I'm probably getting a little bit in the weeds here, whether it's an options expiration day or whether the day before President's Day has been up nine out of 10 times for the S&P, where it used to be a negative month. It's got reminders for um, seasonal pets, got a, an almanac you know, for each month, January, what goes on with January, February, which is the weak link in the, in the, in the best six months. And it's got the January barometer, the Santa Claus rally, the best months of the year, the best days of the year, weeks, quarters, you know, all the different trading patterns. And it's organized in such a format that you can drop in right here at, what is it, February uh, 7th we're talking here today. I don't want to date us here, but, um, you know, you can uh, you can look right there in the book and I'll just flip it open, uh, you know, and what does it tell us on February 7th? Um, it, well, tomorrow's Monday. There's a quote from, uh, the Russian poet. Um, why is it right-wing conservatives always stand shoulder to shoulder in solid solidarity while liberals always fall out among themselves? So a little bit of tongue in cheek political, you know, quotation there. It's a bullish day on Monday with the S and P being up more than 60% of the time. Um, it's an expiration week, uh, the week before expiration, I'm sorry, on the right side is, Market behavior under new, excuse me, on the left side, market behavior under new presidents. You know, uh, it's a lot of post-election year stuff at the beginning of the book. Uh, and then you can look ahead to the March Almanac of how it behaves in the post-election years versus other years. So there's a lot of four-year election cycle stuff, a lot of seasonality. Um, and it covers the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, Russell 1 and 2000. Um, you know, 
host of things. It's it's not light. I mean, you can take one page at a time, you know, or one page a week and really dig into it. But um, you can also flip through for what you go to the back of the book and there's uh, data on the best and worst days and weeks of the year, closing prices for all of the five indices, monthly percent changes, um, some of the, you know, deeper uh, research about bull and bear markets, the four-year cycle. I mean, thank God for computers. This was really hard to put together back in the 80s and 90s. In fact, you know, when I started there, it was all on paper, like graph paper with pencil. And we like adjusted when we, when we do the best and worst days of the month, you know, the month, any given month has a different number of trading days every month. So you got to make some adjustments. My father had a trick that he taught me that we've, we've actually, you know, systemized. Is that the, is that the right word? System, systemated, you know, I don't know, automated, whatever. We know what you mean. Uh, you know what I mean? So that um, it's all on the computer now and using some, some visual basic software, some, some database uh, SQL server stuff. But uh, it used to take, you know, months and months and months uh, with several people. Now, two of us can pretty much knock it out in, you know, 30 to 60 days, not full time, you know. Um, so it, it, it definitely helps. So in 1990, was it 92, I think, I took all of that paperwork stuff and put it into Excel for DOS. Now, I don't know if you ever used DOS, but I'm yes, no computer yes, programmer. That was, we're, we're children of the 90s. We started with DOS. Yeah, well, it helps to understand what happened there. And then I converted it to Windows 3.1 or something. And that's about where I stopped with Excel. Now my, my business partner has, who understands this stuff better than I do. He's, he's a much, much more of a math whiz. We plug it. We can do a lot of things now. And we can just query the database and, you know, um, there's still some stuff that has to get done by hands. I don't like having it too automated because you miss things. And the same way when we do stock screens, if you just have macros in there, whatever, you know, the, the computer, I mean, AI is not 100% perfect right now. It, hel it helps us. And I'm, I'm not even sure it is total AI or just faster uh, calculating of, of probabilities, which is fine. But, you know, you got to glance at it. You got to use that, that, unique, you know, unmatched human brain to take a look at things and, and recognize patterns and things. So um, anyway, I digress. So that's kind of what the Almanac is. We do have a newsletter, you know, too, which, you know, is at stocktradersalmanac.com. And it's it's a combination of all the newsletter we did, we, we've done over the years. And it updates the Almanac throughout the year. We, you know, every, every month, one week's the monthly Almanac um, and our outlook. And we also have stocks and ETFs with uh, ETFs are really, you know, geared towards uh, seasonal sector rotation um, and stocks. Everything's got a seasonal overlay for us. So, you know, when we do our fundamental screens for growth stocks, we're not doing that right now here in January, February, we're going to be looking at that stuff in August, September, October, November, when the market tends to bottom, uh, you know, and have those weak summer months as week, you know, early, early fall months. Um, so, you know, that's, kind of give you a flavor of what we do i'm curious before the before the, the days of computers how many people did you have working there compiling all this data and, and these numbers and crunching the numbers for you um we had people working there that were handling um you know other facets of the business but you know about a handful or so you know all you need is a few smart people to get this stuff done i mean my father did it all himself at the beginning he spent about 18 months 
between when he incorporated and when he, you know, published, you know, released it to market, um, you know, and there's, there's more to it than just the calculations. It's presentation and, you know, putting things in, in tabular formats, so people can see data and be able to add up a column. Like if you round all your decimals to one decimal place and then you add up the column, you know, and, but you, 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 you average the column with the decimals that go out further, it's not necessarily good. There's going to be rounding error in there. So you got to double check it to make sure that what people are seeing actually adds up to what happened at the bottom, even though you've cut off some decimal places. So there's a lot of presentation. And that was one of the things that I think makes it an iconic work. And, and, you know, the, the, the way we, th we think about things that helps people understand that what makes the market tick. Um, you also mentioned the newsletter. Who who's your uh, primary audience? Who's the audience that you're trying to write this newsletter for? Um, I mean, it's 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 individuals, you know, self-directed traders and investors, but also there's a decent amount of advisors on there who use it uh, to communicate with their clients for some ideas. You know, it's not necessarily um, you know your wirehouse type of advisors, but advisors that do do some of their own research. And also advisors that they use it for just conversation. We're talking with their clients about the market, you know, and um, not necessarily the, the actual stock or ETF picks. But I think we have about half, you know, professionals or, you know, independent advisors and half, you know, self-directed traders. And, and the, in that individual is also some, you know, people that have sizable portfolios that some of them just use it for our best and worst six months Um Buy and sell signals. You know, we've got a subscribers that'll take it out for just that. They just want our two signals a year, basically. So how are those, what are those signals? Are you actually making recommend, buy recommendations, sell recommendations? Oh yeah. But those particular, the, the I mean, you've heard of the phrase sell in May and go away, have you not? Yes. Well, I say buy in October and get yourself sober before you got to sell in May and go away. So, you know, um, it's really something that Yale created back in 1986 called the best and worst six month switching strategy, which is basically most of the market's gains are made November to April. Uh, whereas it kind of goes flat. I've got charts and tables that can prove this out. People who, who like to try to refute these things will go back to like 1896 when the Dow started, but I got information. I got a little news for you. It didn't work back then because the world was a different place and it was an agrarian you know, economy that was driven by agriculture. So it was more buy in May. I have a great chart that shows, you know, the S&P or Dow from 1901 to 1949, where it sort of goes from May to September, you know, planting to harvest is where the, all the money was coming into the economy. And then it flips around World War II with the shift to the military industrial complex and the service information economy. Uh, and, you know, the old, the old saw, sell a man, go away, is the, the other side is that is come on back on St. Ledger's Day. It's an old British saw, which re, relates to the London season, uh, which starts in about September. And usually after the, the uh, St. Ledger's Day stakes horse race, which, which is the final leg of the British Triple Crown, when the aristocracy and investment bankers and merchants all come back from the country of fox hunting and horse jumping and all that British, you know, country stuff. And, you know, they come back to London and, and start the business of the year because London used to be a swamp pretty much. And it was 
rather gnarly in um, the summer months. I don't know. I was in London before they really cranked out the air conditioning about 20 or 30 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. And it was pretty rough in the summer. You know, if it was a hot day, it wasn't, you know, and that was, that was when there was indoor plumbing, you know, Uh, back in the day before there was, it was different. So it really equates to the Memorial Day to to, um, Labor Day summer doldrums period that we have here in the States where people, you know, Wall Street just goes to the Hamptons on Friday afternoon. Um, I know I play a little bit more golf, a lot more golf. I go to the beach. I got the kids going to camps or doing stuff around the house, you know, and everyone's a little less focused on the market and you can see the volume drop. We actually have a chart in the Almanac that shows the, the, the annual, you know, average daily volume. So that buy and sell signal is based upon those best and worst months. So, um, guy named Cy Harding, uh, who's not with us anymore, uh, wrote a book called riding the bear in 1999. And here comes the, uh, you know, tech technical terminology. Um, and he took Jerry Appel's MACD or MACD moving average convergence divergence indicator, which is a momentum indicator using moving averages. And he overlaid it with our, um, best and worst six months and call it the best mechanical system ever. We jumped on it. His name's still in the book and we use it and we provide those buy and sell signals using our version of uh, the MACD uh, trigger, which it's, it's similar to the, the, the basic one, but we want to, we, we start looking for it. Excuse me. Start looking for the buy signal after October 1st. And for Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ, NASDAQ has the best eight months. So we wait until June 1st for looking for a sell signal for NASDAQ. But April 1st, the last month of the best six months, the best Dow month of the year is when we start looking for a sell signal. And we look for um, confirmation across the three indices or the two indices. So both have to be indicating a buy or a sell. Um, We use the 817.9. I know you're going to ask me about this on the buy side. And the twelve twenty six nine on the sell side, and those are those signals I was talking about that people like to get and use um, very effectively. And so, yeah, could you tell us what those? You said eight twenty. I didn't write the numbers down. Eight, eight seventeen nine. Eight seventeen nine. That's the buy. Yep. Twelve twenty six nine is the sell. This is right out of the original work uh, that Jerry Appel did, who also just passed. Um, uh, his son Marvin and I are friendly, and 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 we're in touch. And and he's he uses a six nineteen nine, but I haven't switched over to that yet. So anyway, MACD stands for Moving Average Convergence Divergence, or Converging Diverging, however you want to use the the form of the word. And it takes three exponential moving averages. An exponential moving averages is a moving average that puts more weight on the most recent data point versus a simple moving averages with just averages the, the periods there that you um, are looking at. So this is an, using a daily closes, eight day, 17 day and nine day. You take the difference between the eight day exponential moving average and the 17 day exponential moving average. And then you take the nine day exponential moving average of that difference and plot the two lines together. So you've got the MACD line and the signal line and we use a crossover signal when the histogram flips, histogram is just the positive negative number. And it's much better when it starts from below the zero line. You know, you, you see what moving averages do. So 
um, it shows a nice shift in momentum. And it's really an indicator that one should only use in conjunction with another reason for making a, uh, a transaction. Um, whether it's you like Tesla or, you know, GameStop or you know, I wouldn't use GameStop. That's just, that's <laughs> um, or, you know, you've heard, got a tip from your advisor or one of your, you know, podcast interviewers or something. Um, and you want to buy the stock, you wait for that positive crossover. We use it in conjunction with the seasonal move, with the beginning of the best six months, the end of the best six months, the beginning of the best eight months for NASDAQ, and the end of the best eight months for um, NASDAQ. And on the buy side, we use the 8179 because it's a shorter time frame. It's a faster moving, uh, a faster moving indicator because bottoms are more of an event. They kind of have that V, you know, sort of where something transpires. People sort of capitulate, freak out at the bottom. It's usually the, the case. And tops are more of a, a process and they take time to sort of roll over. So we want to have a longer, slower moving indicator on the top, keep us in longer as the market, you know, tops out. Uh, and the shorter one on the buy side, get us in faster when the things turn, usually around late October. Um, you know, or, or thereabouts. It was November 5th this year. Okay. So it sounds like you're building the case. You, you have certain things you're looking for. And when everything starts to line up at that point, it's time to get in. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit less verbose than how I just explained it. I mean, it's just, you got the best six months, you get a MACD buy signal and, you know, we put out an alert and it's usually 200 words and we tell them, you know, buy the diamond spiders and cubes and the IWMs, you know, with a buy limit uh, and maybe, or maybe not even a buy limit that day, just go get it. And that's the one, the, the one strategy, the one portfolio where we're really not going to use stops because it's got the seasonal, um, you know, analysis and support where we don't want to have a stop there. We didn't use it. We would have gotten whipsawed out back in, in, in 2020. Um, though we did double down after things the dust, the, you know, the, the dust cleared. Okay. So that's the best and worst month switching strategy with the MACD timing overlay. Gotcha. You'd also mentioned uh, how 2021 is a lot of post-election, uh, post-election data. How can you give us any insight into that? I know obviously this was written before, right before the election or, and I know, you know, I think what was it Joe Biden has the, they called it the, the biggest rally. I think the S&P returned like 13% from election day to inauguration day. Uh, I, I mean, what, what type of insight do you have in terms of the, you know, in terms of, that's, that's uh, you know, pretty the, common the when, in- you know, an unpopular president is asked um, I don't want to get into the politics of it because that's not what we do, but that, Certainly. No, that November rally, when you have a, a president that's replaced, you know, indicates that he wasn't so popular, at least with the market. I mean, 74 million people like him, but uh, I'm not sure how many of them are on Wall Street. Um, so yeah, it was a great November, uh, good sign. It's November's the beginning of the best six months, the beginning of the best three months, best three consecutive months. Um, you could call it a Biden rally if you'd like, that's fine. Uh, it's an election year. I mean, it's a fourth quarter rally. Um, but post-election year stuff, you know, used to be a, a much worse year than it has been. Um, it's been a lot better recently. I think it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, campaigning for four straight years that goes on. You don't have that sort of big changeover. Midterm years are still kind of rough. 
The third year is still the best year, you know, up like 16.9% for the Dow and about 29 or something for the S and for the NASDAQ, excuse me. Um, election years have gotten worse. You know, um, we had a bear market this, this, this past election year, uh, the shortest one on record. We had a overarching reason for that, but, um, post-election years, you know, have, have been improving. It used to be, you know, this sort of time for wars and bear markets and recessions to occur. I mean, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam all started in post-election years, plus 9-11. Um, it's kind of an opportunity where the country's exposed. I know people were concerned about this year with the change of the guard, um, the, the, the change of power, transfer of power, um, international, uh, um, you know, group tends to test out the, the USA during that post-election year. But it's a small sampling, but new Democrats that have come in after Republican administrations uh, since World War II, there's been four of them, uh, Kennedy, Carter, uh, Clinton, and Obama. Uh, some pretty strong, um, you know, results there. Uh, what is the average? 10.1% on average, 15.1 uh, or 15.6 median. And only Carter's first year was troubled. You know, we had stagflation in the 70s. And they all four came in with Democratic control of the Congress. Um, I would contend that this is still a split Congress because the Senate is split evenly, even though uh, Kamala Harris, VP, decides the tiebreaker. <clears throat> um, combination of a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress has not been great for Wall Street. I mean, still 7.4% or something if memory serves, but split Congress is up over 11% on average. You got a little more of a, a you know, check and balance with, with 50 Republican senators not letting everything go through. Um, we'll see how much, you know, new regulation and new spending comes in. There's got to be some with this COVID thing out there, but I think people want that. I think the, the the Wall Street's looking for that. You can see the market move on on the, the positive prospects for for more stimulus. So post election years usually kind of rough patch for the market, but um, you know the Fed and the stimulus and all this this um, you know new new Democrat history. I, I think it spins it a little bit more positive, a little more bullish. We're, we're not super negative for this year, but January was down, you know, January barometer is something we got to cover. Um, I don't know if you were going to go there next, but uh, I'll, I'll stop talking for a second. Let you... <laughs> no, that was exactly it. So I know January, what, what's the saying you have there? Um, as January goes, the year goes. For the S&P. Yeah. That and was the uh, S&P was essentially about just about flat for January. Uh, minus 1.1%. Yeah. Minus year. one. Yes. Yeah. So minus 1% for a month ain't flat, you know, minus 1% for a year is flat. Fair enough. Um, in, in my uh, humble opinion. <laughs> so, you know, Yale invented the January barometer back in 1972, along with the Santa Claus rally, which I have to explain. Um, and then there's this first five days early warning indicator. So the January barometer often gets confused with the January effect. Yes. Are you familiar with the January effect? I am familiar with the January effect. I'm not familiar with the January barometer then. I'm, qui I'm quizzing you on the January effect. What is it? The January effect? 
is that uh, the market tends to rally after at the first uh, the first month of the year. No. No. Okay. Then I don't even know it. Incorrect. The January effect is the old tendency for small cap stocks to outperform large cap stocks on the month of January. An investment banker back at maybe Merrill Lynch in the 40s named Sidney Wattell first uh, wrote about that. The January effect, Russell 2000 nowadays outperforms the S&P or the Dow, which it has and it did. Small cap effect is what I refer to it at, uh, as has really, uh, really be, most of it happens in the last two weeks of the year now. And it kind of carries through into January and February, which we're seeing a bit of the outperformance of the Russell over that time frame, which is encouraging to me for seasonality. We've had Russell, Russell outperformed in November, which is really right, right in line with historical patterns. And that's encouraging that things are getting back to normal. So January effect, small caps outperform large caps. January barometer invented by Yale Hirsch is as the S&P 500 goes in January, so goes the year. Also invented in 72 at the same time as he as he came up with that was the Santa Claus rally. Again, let's do a pop quiz. What's the Santa Claus rally? I think I'm going to do better on this one. The Santa Claus rally, I believe it's the last five days of the year and the next, the last, uh, or the first two days of the new year. Typically, the market uh, does pretty well. I think that's the broader market to the S&P. Yeah, I hope you're looking at page 116 of the Stock Traders Almanac and reading that verbatim. <laughs> I'll say I didn't flip there fast enough, but I remember I did... I did. Uh, but yeah, I had and, read it in December. And we, we joke, but everyone thinks that the Santa Claus rally is any rally in December. Did you have a question there, Brian, or something? I saw my. I saw. No, go it ahead. Right. Right. Everyone else isn't seeing us, but we're looking at each other. No, go ahead. I <laughs> but, thought it was great. I thought you were, it was a great job that you're quizzing Michael here. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a you go. That was a you go man, right? So um, <laughs> Santa Claus rally. Uh, last five days of the of the old year, first through the new year. Um, and do you know the line there? Can you read read the top of page one sixteen for us? This is Yale's phrase that he coined? This my old my songwriter dad. Page one sixteen. You have a feeling. I'm getting there. Are we talking this year's? Page right, one sixteen. If, if Santa Claus should fail to call, bears may come to Broad and Wall. Yeah, it was all right. We'll give we'll, you need a little practice on it. It's it's, it's more of like a, a poem, you know. But uh, I'm I'm more in the Dr. Seuss reading right these days. That's okay. I I gotcha. I've been there. How old are your kids? I have I have one. She's uh she's just about six months. Oh my god, you got some fun. Yes. You guys don't want to hear my Dora voice, do you? If you have a Dora voice, <laughs> we're not much into cartoons yet, but I know that's coming. It's a holla. <laughs> going to the beach today uh anyway <clears throat> i'm sorry it, it is it is super bowl sunday and we're having a little fun absolutely skippy, skippy john jones is a good one too it's a little dog i used to like reading that that, that was pretty funny uh what is that one? skippy john jones is good good fun kids book i don't know that one yeah it was one we found out it's a, it's a little festive anyway santa claus rally um one, 1.3% on average since uh, 1950, 63, or 67, whatever, whatever it is. Um, basically, it's a time of the year when most people, you know, are not paying attention to the street. Um, people are, you know, holiday time, celebrating. We, we, I usually go away somewhere. We happen to go rent a house this, this summer, get a little away with the family, you know. Uh, but the traders are still there. The, the 
people are picking up bargain stocks after tax loss selling. And the years when it does happen, if Santa Claus should fail to call, bears may come to broaden wall. We've seen some pretty nasty, you know, um, markets there. We had 08, right? And 2000, uh, going back, 94 was flat. Um, uh, let's see, 04 was a flat year too. So 08, 09, we had a, a, a bear market bottom in 2016. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a indicator, a, a good indication of if people are kind of skittish about the market or, or, you know, really, really gung ho about it. Then you got the first five days indicator that a lot of other people like, that's not one we invented, but one we track and, um, the first week of the year, uh, first five trading days. And then the Santa, the, the January barometer. So what we have now is, and this is in Super Bowl gambling mode, uh, you know, um, it's called the January indicator trifecta. So combining all three of them together. And this year we, we got two out of three. We didn't get, we didn't hit the trifecta this year. We got the Santa Claus rally up first five days up. And if we had had the January bar barometer up, I'd have been really bullish for this year because the last 31 times that happened, the year was up 27 out of the 31 for like a 17 and a half percent gain. Um, I guess I could, and then the, the subsequent 11 months, because everyone always gives us flack for including January in the gains for the January bond. So here's the next 11 months, the rest of the year, up 27 of 31 times. And it should be 26 of 31. Um, and 12.4% or something like that. I'm going to I'm gonna pull it up. I want to give you those numbers because uh, it's um, – it's too good for, for us not to share that. Maybe let me get that. that yeah, uh, absolutely. That stat correctly. Yeah. I think 27 I, of four and 28 of three, 11 months is up 12.3 and 17.5 for the full years. Okay. But what we have now is not so great, um, but not bad. Two out of three ain't bad. And I did a little video, about a 90 second video the other day that it kind of explains it. Um, so with the January barometer down, uh, the previous 11 times, February was down 2.2% on average, up four, down seven. The last 11 months up 8.2% on average, not bad, with only two losses, nine up and two down. That was 02 and 73. And then the full year was up 4.1% on average with an eight up and three down record. So. Um, that's, that's kind of the important thing right now. I know we were, we were, we were sort of horsing around there a little bit, but the fact that we got two out of three and that we're able to stand on Yale's shoulders and some other people's shoulders with combining all three early year indicators, I, I think is, is quite, is quite helpful. There's another one. There's another interesting strategy in there called the, the free lunch strategy. You had talked about that when I met you in Chicago. Yeah. And I thought that one was really, really fascinating. How did that one pan out for you this year? And if you don't mind, just can you tell us a little about it? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Not, did not well this year um, because we didn't have a, a correction. That strategy, which is also back there in the, the you know, the hundred pages, you know, the uh, I think it's 112 or 114 in the book. It's um. It works much better when you have a, a bit of a sell-off, like an early December sell-off where you see that tax loss selling, but there were so few, and it's based on 
um, an old, you know, strategy of uh, stocks making new 52-week lows on December 15th outperform you know, on the New York Stock Exchange. This is back in the old days. Outperform the composite index of the New York Stock Exchange by February 15th. It's really consolidated, just like the January effect has. And New York Stock Exchange, you know, has sort of been is not as is not the only show in town now. So we look for stocks making new 52-week lows on uh, the New York, Nasdaq, and Amex. Maybe over the counter if we need to, but I'm not going to the pink sheets. And um, we used to back in the days, but uh, what we found after some real-world testing was that triple witching. I got to explain that work term. Right? Uh, you can well, yeah, we'll link triple to that. witching Friday, the third Friday of December, when options, index futures, and index options all expire on the same day, once a quarter. You have a nice, um, a, a nice volatile, heavy volume day. Uh, and it's also the day before a weekend. So we get the time to uh, peruse the tables uh, on Saturday morning. And we put out a list of those stocks making new 52-week lows. And Yale called it the only free lunch on Wall Street. Um, it's pretty much free, uh, but you got to be a nimble trader. It's not for the faint at heart. And we make sure that there's some liquidity um, in these stocks and that they're uh, over a buck because you can't buy them on certain platforms if they're under a dollar. And then when there's a bunch of them, a lot, we usually sort them by uh, ones that are down the most from their high. So the, the you know, from the 50-week low to 50-week high, we usually use like a little 1% to 2% plus or minus window to buy the stock. So if it drops further, we're not touching it. If it rallies right through it, too bad, you missed it. And then we usually use a, a trailing stop, maybe 8 9 10%, depending upon um, that, so that if it keeps going up. And we're usually out of these stocks by mid-January. Again, this year, nothing, nothing, nothing to write home about at all. Uh, oh, 2018 was good. I mean, you can you can flip there. We had a nice correction in December 2018, which was a perfect setup. So just to make sure I'm not making it up, yeah, 2018 uh, up 24.9 percent, um, 9.8 percent over the the. the the composite was up 15.1. So, you know, those are the years where it, where it does better. Um, so that's that strategy. A quick trade. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I'll say, yeah, definitely quicker, I think, on your time frame. Although I'm a day trader, so it was really long. I actually played around with it, just kind of running a, a scan at the right on the 15th to said, okay, 52-week lows. I, I didn't do any of the OTCs. And I ended up with just, there was nothing was making, hardly anything was making. There was no lows. And so I actually ended up picking a few um, and I ended up with six stocks total. Uh, one of them I probably shouldn't have because it was CHL, which was suspended later because it was a Chinese stock. Yeah, we, we don't we don't use those Chinese stocks, man. And I should have I shouldn't have had that one because it was news out in November. But even even factoring that in, I had six stocks and I actually averaged uh, we have I averaged a, a 10 percent return. Fantastic. So good, good job. Yeah, I mean. We, we put out some, some of those picks in our newsletter, yeah. but for a trader like yourself and for other day traders, we're like, it's a great strategy to go dig in. It doesn't have to be the exact same date. I mean, you know, people want to be, do this on this day. Give me the tip. What do I buy? You know, you know that's fine. But there's also using some of these strategies and having a little bit of savvy yourself and saying, you know what? 
the market just bottomed today, you know, yesterday. Let's take the new 52-week lows from yesterday, and if I can get them at that price, you know, around mid-December, and uh, make a quick trade, make a couple bucks. I mean, it's definitely, you know, you can use that mindset as you did. So, um, and as I, I did that same thing. I was actually, I was running, I started running my scanner about a week before the 15th and kept running a week after and kind of, yeah, and not just one random bottom or something, something that was actually down there and, and was kind of right. starting to bottom. Or even if it wasn't starting to bottom, I just went ahead and bought it. It was a, it was a, a low risk experiment, but uh, yeah, it ended up working pretty well. So, I know some people try it with options too, but that's beyond. I'm not an options guy. <laughs> gotcha. I so, like a nice undervalued stock that people aren't following that is kicking off great numbers that I can just, you know. We, um, my friend, uh, it runs a fund, and when my, um, I started one of those little stockpile trading accounts for my son. He got like a gift for his bar mitzvah, and we put. Um, I called up my buddy and I, and I, he's a couple of stocks he told me about. So he bought one of them and it, I was looking at it. It's like, Sam, you, your stock doubled, bro. So, you know, our house rules are sell half on a double. Okay. And then you let your winnings ride and you take your initial vessel off the table and you can buy a different stock. So, you know, trying to get them in there. And I wrote, you know, in the back of the book, you got page, go to page 189. 189. All right. Since I'm digressing here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you we, don't we like profit from your, some investment mistakes, someone else will. That's another Yale line. Down at the bottom, it's got performance of re record of recommendations from tips. So one day, you know, working from home, son comes in. He's like, Dad, can I have $100 to buy AMC? I'm like, what? What'd you hear about that, Reddit? I'm like, no. Well, you know, why don't you go get a job? And make some money and we'll open you up an account you paid this anyway i'm just sort of i was just busting his chops a little bit but so i wrote it down on that list you know the ticker my son's name the date the price read it and it was at 863 the next day it went up to like 13 14 something can you tell me where reddit is right now i mean where where uh, amc is right now amc uh i can pull up you said what what day did he bring it to you the 28th of January. Oh, I, I looked so he, it up. <laughs> I he brought it to you at the top. What's that? He brought no. it to you right around the top. No, Brian? Just, before, just before the big spike. Well, right now it's trading under $8. It's trading at 683 Yeah. So he, he the 28th, it was at... What did it do? Oh, that's the volume. Where's the price? What did it do? Split? No. 28th, it was eight sixty three. You're right. And then... Oh, I'm sorry. I looked at the 20, yeah, 863, and then it rallied back up to 13 at, at the close, whatever. So anyway, point being, you know, Almanac's good for, like, learning about stuff uh, and how to think about the market. And the, the, the other two pages or uh, uh, subsequent pages, you'll ask for the book, from Gerald Loeb, The Battle Plan for Investment Survival, and then the investment survival checklist. This is the kind of stuff that I think, you know, I mean, I, it should be a high school class. Just those one pages. It's like, what? why do you want to buy this stock? What's your exit strategy? What are the things that are going on there? You know, if you want to track earnings or, you know, they got the new hottest video game that all my friends are buying. I mean, if that's, that's, that's a fine reason to buy a stock. But you got to track it and see how you how, how your thinking is doing or Whoever is recommending stocks to, whether it be your broker, advisor, or you know, podcast host. 
Absolutely. No, I think I think that's great. I didn't. Uh, I don't think I made it that far back in the book. So I'm gonna now every time because right now all of my friends, you know, I have plumbers friends that are now giving me stock picks. So everybody's out there making stock picks. Yeah, um, that so scares me. That scares me. <laughs> well, that, that's the old uh, was it JFK's dad? I always heard the, the story of JFK's dad where he said that uh, he was getting his shoe shine and uh, the kid was giving him some stock tips. So he goes, oh. I'm going to go sell everything and short the market. And that's how the Kennedys made gazillions of dollars. 29, right? Yeah. Yep. If, you want, if you want to go forward a couple pages to the, the weekly indicator records and portfolio records, this is some of the stuff that we've converted for the newsletter. Like on page 185, the weekly indicator data, we track this stuff in our newsletter. We call it the pulse of the market. So okay. you're looking at, you know, I mean, down Friday, my father's book in, in 1986, when it first came out, don't sell stocks on Monday. Um, because, you know, the week, the, the end of the week and the beginnings of the week, and we count Monday as the first trading day of the week, not just Monday, because there's a lot of Monday holidays and Friday. So we, another indicator we track is down Fridays, down Mondays. So if the market is looking really, you know, sketchy people aren't confident they usually don't carry positions over in the weekend and then if the news is horrible over the weekend not much better they sell more on monday so down fridays down mondays are often uh they can can occur around around low points and also around inflection points where markets roll over so that's why we track um the change on friday and monday for the dow as opposed in addition to you know you get into some of the um market internals that people forget about you know if you if you track uh our buddy Helene Meiser, she's great old school, you know, um, technical analyst and, and market internals person with new highs and new lows and advanced declines. Um, sentiment is something I track to put call ratio, the one in Barron's, the five day the sort of weekly put call, which has been historically low since November. Um, you know, it's just some ways to keep your eye on the market and what you how you might shift your bias. If you even if you're a day trader, you're like, well, we're pretty extended. Maybe I want to take some, you know, some stuff off the table or consider some things that are overpriced that I might want to, you know, write some puts on or something or, you know, whatever, whatever you guys do. I mean, so there's a lot of, a lot of mentality, a lot of philosophy and mindset stuff in the almanac as well. Yeah. And I really, I, every single day I wake up, I mean, I like the fact that I do have something hard copy in print. I really enjoy just having that. Cause I mean, I keep my own journal but I have these, you know, I don't, I know I'm in, you know, I'm a millennial and all, but I still like my paper, my pencils. I can't, um, you know so. what? Half the time I can't read what I wrote on my like scribble notes and stuff, but it takes it to memory just yeah. by the act of writing it down. So I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned with actually being able to read my own handwriting. Sometimes I don't have great handwriting, but it, it's just the, 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 the memory process there. So yeah, I'd like, like seeing your book like that. I have people that come up to me like at F trading expos and stuff. And they said, Jeff, look at the book. These these two like Korean ladies came up to me, you know, and they they was just littered, was writing everywhere. They got their notes. And they're just using it as their workbook. And I'm somebody posted a picture on Twitter of, of their scribbled in book and note taken. And I said, that's, you know, you still my heart. That that that's what it's made for. That's what how dad designed it. So you can and we've constantly made room on that right side page for people to write stuff down whether it's a stock that you thought of or a concept or whatever, or an appointment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
Absolutely. Well, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like we've only scratched the surface on what your book actually contains. I know what people can, they can get it directly from you at stocktradersalmanac.com, right? Yes, sir. All right. Um, gonna- you got to call, if you just want a single copy of the book, you got to call us up. We're not selling a book, you know, online to order it. That doesn't, okay. but you, the- get, it, you, you can, you can sign up for the newsletter and it comes with a free copy of the Almanac. So if like if you go to the website there and you you see the words get STA up top, yep, it'll take you. Uh, gosh, I hope it's working. Oh wait, now I'm logged in. There it is. Um, there's a code on there where you can get it for one fifty a year and two fifty for two years, which is quite a deal. And you get all the picks. You get the you know best and worst buy and sell signals free lunch stocks, sector, you know, ETF picks. Cop, you guys do any commodities? No, not me. <laughs> There's a great copper trade that we always try to get into every year if, if it sets up, but we don't, we use uh, some stocks um, like Southern Copper or Freeport. Copper tends to make this this December low. It's, 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 it's pretty consistent because the construction season is at a lull and, um, you know, when it sets up, it's 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 a nice trade. So we, we do some of those sector seasonal trades, some commodity correlated ones as well with stocks and ETFs. Anyway, well, you that's, were saying. That was it. I, like I said, I think it's, it's worth checking out. If you're not familiar with it, you know, at least you, you, you sign up for, I say you can sign up. And if you don't like it, you can cancel. You get to keep the book at least. Right. I think you, you, you're going to you're going to get a minimum charge on that. But right. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great resource for anyone that's not familiar with the market. I love the fact that you're coming at it with real data, not just, oh, I think this and I feel this way. You're coming at it with real scientific data and saying, look, it worked 27 out of 31 times. You're admitting it didn't work four times, but it worked 27 times. So I really enjoy that. And I you know, I'm very data driven guys. So that's what I especially as a day trader. You know, I we think play a, a game with people on TV when they say, I think. <laughs> like on I, heard, I try to catch myself when I'm on there. Like, no, oh, no, I, I think the market. No, don't say I think. Well, have you heard the uh, the thing? I've heard that uh, professionals uh, they always have they'll have Bloomberg or CNBC on, but they always have it muted because they want to see the numbers, but they don't care about the opinions. So, yeah. Um. So I'll say we'll definitely we will link to Stock Traders Almanac. Mm-hmm. You can definitely check out more about uh, about Jeffrey about the uh, about the Stock Traders Almanac, the newsletter. It's a great resource. It's not very much, so if you're if you're interested in it, I definitely think it's worth looking up. Um, we do have a, a one one final segment here. Brian comes at us with the, with the Uh-oh. question of the day. Uh, sometimes it's market related. Sometimes it's very personal. So Brian. Just one question. Just one. It's the fun question of the day, and uh, this is this is not market related, but we're uh-huh. we're on the eve of the Super Bowl, right? Uh, it's gonna be played in a few hours from now. So I'm just for you guys. What is your favorite Super Bowl food? So I can let Michael go first, and Jeff, you can think. Favorite Super Bowl food. I'm a little biased. I'm from. I'm. I was born in. Or I was. I was raised just outside of Buffalo, New York. So I, I'm gonna go with the buffalo wing. I. That's. You know. I need nothing else. I can live off of buffalo wings. You know, with a little bit of blue cheese. I'm a buffalo wing guy too. Um, I am making dry rubbed chicken wings in the oven today with some buffalo sauce on the side, and I'm also gonna make sliders and filet mignon. 
Filet mignon. Wow. <laughs> I've never had filet mignon on Super Bowl Sunday. But do, we went we went out for hibachi a couple of weeks ago, and it was so good. I'm going to try to do it like like the hibachi style. So I think it's just I think it's just butter and soy sauce is a trick, and and sear it real hot. But we, just, <laughs> we shall see. But uh, yeah, I go. I'd, I'd have to go with wings if I had to pick. Brian? Well, this year, I'm going to try to make some nachos. So I got my, you, you, know, go. you got my chips. I got my cheese sauce. You know, I got green onions. I got some meat. We'll see how it goes. But you know, it, it's it's sad in a way because usually we have a big Super Bowl party. You know, we get together as a group and we can't do it this year. So it's just I usually rely on other people to bring all the good food and then <laughs> I can just eat their food, right? But this well, year I haven't actually I'm, have to try. I'm I'm cooking. I I was just downstairs putting rub on the on the chicken wings and stuff before we came on. But who do you think is going to win? Not who do you like? Who do you think is going to win? So I am biased. I grew up in Kansas city. I've been cheering for the chiefs my entire life. I've seen so much heartache, but like, I feel they're just destined. And like, uh, I don't want Tom Brady to get other rings. I'm really rooting for the chiefs. I, I think that the, again, that's emotion. I'm saying, who are you placing money on? If I had to place money, I'd still bet on the chiefs, but I don't think it's by a lot. And I think here's my, I think the chiefs weakness is their offensive line. People don't realize it's injured and the the defense of the Bucks have a really good defense and, Yes, the Chiefs won in the previous game they played, but they actually played worse down in the later quarters. They had a really good breakout quarter with they were hitting Tyreek for 100 yards, and I don't think they're going to let that happen again. And so That's, I think it's going to be a more defensive game than people think. That's my. I, I agree with you. Too. That's why I think the score is going to be low. I'm taking the Chiefs and the under. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> it's a parlay bet. I'm gonna I'm pulling for the Chiefs. You know, my, they beat my Bills last week, and I always like you know if you're going to beat us at least win so that way we got beat by the best you know it, i feel like we come in third place or fourth place if if they end up losing the super bowl so i'm certainly pulling for the chiefs uh but my money's my money's on tampa bay is I, it really I, yeah i'm sorry oh, cool. i just you know everyone tom brady i i can't i have a really hard time betting against tom brady uh i remember a couple years ago when we were at the super at a super bowl party and we were hanging out with some friends and i can't even i can't even remember what year it was but they were down so much and we left, we left the party, we're like, okay, it's over. And we went home and we're getting, you know, we turned the TV as we're getting in bed and they ended up coming back and beating them. So I, I, I can't, I just can't bet against Tom Brady. <laughs> well, as, as a giant fan, I, I have no fear of Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the only people. <laughs> but I don't have a problem with him. But as you were saying, Brian, I'll be rooting for the fat guys in the middle on both sides of the line of both teams. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, we really appreciate having you on, Jeff. Um, This has been Trading for Keeps. I'm Brian. And this is Michael. Thanks for joining us. We'll have a new episode next week. Trading for Keeps is not intended as investment advice. It is only intended for entertainment purposes. We do receive some affiliate commissions from links in our show notes.